Today, we're talking to Frank from Impact Networking about refocusing sales strategies. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Hey, Joel. Frank, how are you, buddy? I am good. How are you? Man, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, I think they said, what, end of 2019 or mid-2019? Does that sound right? I just Googled it, and you were episode 109, and, and we're at like 600-something now. Wow. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. That is, that is interesting. Oh, Makes you feel old, right? That's how I feel now. Yeah, it's been a few years then, for sure. I was curious to know, you know, when I got to go visit you in your offices and, yeah. and see your sales team, and I got to meet some different people within your organization, your organization was heavily driven by what, you can correct me if I'm wrong, salespeople that would were on the ground salespeople. Yeah. They would go into businesses. And we haven't spoken since COVID's happened. What happened to your business? How did you handle that? Yeah, so obviously we have a pretty non-complacent approach to everything we do at, at Impact, which is great because it forces us to constantly rethink and reevaluate, invest in what we're doing. Um, so a lot of the investments we made up until that point allowed us to do a pretty seamless pivot. Our, our owner and I and a few others had a conversation, you know, in middle of March, right, about what, what we're going to do. And within a couple hours, we decided that we're going to, you know, send everybody remote. And we did that for about 100 days. And then the governor of Illinois and our markets allowed us to come back. And so we we only did about 100 days full remote and we were flexible and we did it right and safe. It's crazy to think about, you know, how long ago that seems. But, you know, our, we walked all the offices, we invested in, in masks and sanitizers and every employee got unlimited access to those things. We were flexible. People need to be flexible. So we're, to answer your question is, yeah, I mean, it kind of hit us right in the face, but we reacted and I think everyone did the changes that they needed needed to do. And we are still very much an in-person sales organization from that aspect. We still go out and see customers on a regular basis. And obviously, we're, we're we, especially coming out of the early parts of the pandemic, we're cognizant of, of what that meant to other organizations. But we tried to be safe and do it right and not not change too much of what's made us successful over the years. And is managed services the direction of the business? So that's it's, it's interesting, and I have a stat that will, will, you know that I could go over that when we were talking in 2019, that was the investment, right? We're trying to grow that business. Well, this year we finally hit that 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 flip where over 55 percent of our revenues this year are coming from managed services, and so we we made the full transition, which is crazy because seven years ago that business model for us didn't even really hardly exist, and it hasn't really took traction up until the last probably three or four years, and it's grown exponentially. So that's driving a lot of the things I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through this episode of the changes that we have made that are making and are setting us up to take advantage of that. I would say new business like I did in 2019, but now is becoming the majority business of what Impact is offering, which is really IT services and cyber services. How are you selling those services with in-person salespeople? Or is it like, uh, let's say, doctor's offices and things of that nature that are purchasing your services? Who's your customer there? Yeah, so we have a defined ICP, ideal customer profile. Really, it's mid-sized market. Now, we define that probably a little more open-ended. So companies with over 50 employees typically obviously getting more towards that mid versus a small side of the mid market is is becoming our our niche and really industry agnostic nothing you know there's there's some 
sweet spots for us, but we're not tied to any of those in particular. And yeah, so we have, I think, let's see, we're in, we're in, we've opened up in Texas since the last time we talked. So we're in Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Texas, and California. And we define our ICPs around those companies that are headquartered around our offices. Because I think when you're making these these types of decisions where we're, I mean, these are usually multi-million dollar contracts in a lot of cases where we're becoming essentially that that trusted partner to manage their IT and cyber. And I, I you, you got to be able to do that with feet on the ground. You got to be able to do that remotely as well. But it's a big decision for these companies. And it's something that I think they want to know that they're making the right decision and coming out just like you came out to our offices and seeing who we are and what makes us up and, and, and getting a sense for the people that are going to be taking care of you, I think is key. Yeah, they were beautiful offices. Everybody was really, really they are, nice yeah, we went, and smart. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, That's, yeah, key. Smart people too, right? Yeah. Oh, man. So you're, this part of your business is growing. It's a large part. You're doing security and managed services for all like SMB, mid-sized companies, or it's dependent upon geography. Now, a lot of the conversation we had earlier this week, or not between you and me, but someone else, is uh, us talking about like account-based marketing and how you know, there's different types of CTOs. Some have a stronger ability at sales than others, and some are better at cutting costs than others, and there's different strengths. But I want to focus on the sales CTO because knowing you, you have a really strong sales background, at least just meeting you and being around you for the past, you know, knowing you for the past couple of years. But I was curious, do you take an ABM approach at your organization or do you do a spray and pray shotgun? How do you do it? So this, yeah. So also interesting timing with that question. We've, we've refined that a lot. I would say if you rewind us back to even when we first talked in 2019, our ICP was more not set in stone, and it was more of a shotgun approach. And now we are really trying to, you know, to use that term, pull, pull out the rifle versus a shotgun and and hone in on our ICPs that are assigned to our accounts. So yeah, I mean, I, I have a heavy background in client-facing work and sales development and stuff like that. I've since given up all those responsibilities to focus on our own transformation and the things that we have to do at Impact and handed those client-facing teams off to other members within the organization. From an account standpoint, absolutely. And we've done a number of things that invested over the past couple of years, and even right now that we're doing to enable our sales team to get the best information, to find out who those ideal customer profiles are that are in their territories, and how to really hone in on them. Why don't I tell you what we're doing, and then you can sort of coach me around it, <laughs> like CTO to CTO sales type stuff. Because uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just wake <laughs> up every day, and it it seems to be getting better. So different executives that I would interview kept talking about ABM, ABM, ABM. And I'm like, well, what I'm doing is called Shotgun. What's ABM? And trying to figure that out, because everyone kind of has a different version. And then what I came up with was the difference between ABM, in my mind currently, is that we'll pick a like a set of accounts. We'll say like, all right, we want these 100 accounts and we're going to keep bothering people at these 100 accounts until they tell us no and we'll replace them with another account. Whereas the spray and pray, we, everyone picks like two contacts. Like if IBM came across their radar right. on Zoom Info, they'd pick two contacts from IBM. There's 300 departments in IBM that could do business yeah. with us. And then they would move on. And, and that's working. I mean, it's generating revenue. It's growing the company. What do you think when I tell you all of this? I mean... Our sales cycles are typically long. 
because we have a defined a list of accounts that we want people to get access to now or then they get into, I, I agree that you you got to hit multiple multiple contacts and you got to be able to profile those accounts and know why that account is in your ICP or something that you're going to target and how to approach it. And so we've done a lot of work over the years, um, really the last two, two and a half years, we've done a, a huge just complete 180 on our marketing and sales tech stack to allow for better account-based marketing to integrate better with our marketing automation. We've rolled out sales cadencing this year, actually within the last 90 days, to structure that communication that we want using the best content creators we have, because we have awesome content creators. Whether it's coming from marketing, our chief strategy officer, they they know how to create content and get it, and it's just making sure it gets out in the right format. And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like our, our approach is similar in concept uh, that we, you know, you, you have X amount of ICPs in this given area. You may give or take one or two a year, but it's not like once you go through those 120, there's another 120 right behind it. So, yeah, you got to get creative. You got to get to know why it's in, why canvassing and profiling, understanding those accounts, understanding the different contacts, understanding how you're going to get a hold of them and why when you do get a hold of them that you have a message that connects. All those things, we have a lot of effort going into uh, into that exact, you know, topic. How do we make our sales step more effective? So there's not another hundred if the hundred say no. They just have to figure out how to do business with those hundred. I mean, if you go through and say that you've profiled your entire territory, you know, because we're, again, more geo-territories with those, um, you got to get creative because there's a hundred or two hundred, three hundred, whatever the number is in that territory, that mm-hmm. our rep has, those are the ones that they, you know, ideally that they get into. Now there's other accounts, right? There's what, 98,000 companies headquartered in around the Chicagoland area, right? And that's the third really? market, right? Or 95,000, I forget the exact number. So we've looked at, we we subscribe to Zoom Info. Uh, we, that's an expensive platform, but it's, it, it's I know. <laughs> a lot. It's got a lot of good data, but it's not perfect. So bringing in Zoom, Zoom info data, bringing in Dunn's data, using sales reps to update that information in the CRM appropriately. We've custom, you know, developed what we call the account profile, which is per segment of business that we offer. What are some key questions that you would want to keep track of? And so we've we've developed that into the CRM as well, so they can keep track of that and and know. So yeah, you have let's just say X amount of ideal customer profiles, but we have four or five main services that we can sell that. So really you have five customers within one. So to your point, new customers and expansion of customers is a huge, uh, huge initiative for us, especially last year we spun off the cyber division of impact into its own company called dot security. Oh, really? So, uh, that's exciting because it's, it, it, it does a little bit of separation of job duties, right? It's like our engineers are managing the environment. We have a whole different team of people that are the ones that are managing the security. Um, so then every IT customer since became a prospect for our security offering. Um, and we were doing it a little bit then. Obviously, we, we still take a security first approach. But by spinning it off, it becomes a, a, a better offering, better service to that customer, better separation of what the IT is doing versus what cyber is doing. Does it have the impact branding on it? So it's a company of impact, or is it completely separate? It, it has a little bit of influence of the impact brand on it, but it's for it's it's uh, it's its own entity as far as company and branding and stuff like that. Oh, cool! That's so cool. Uh, question about the Duns. 
data. So I had been using ZoomInfo and then Dunn's did a sponsorship with the show. And the reason that's relevant is because usually I'll talk to one person from a company. Sure. But when they do sponsorships, we'll come up with different angles and talk to different people in different divisions. Uh, this one guy we talked to, well, just like next level brilliant. But, uh, like, like it blew my mind. I'll send you the episode after to listen to him, but this this guy was crazy smart. And, uh, you know, sometimes there, I do these episodes where I feel like I'm a, like a chimpanzee, <laughs> like a monkey compared to this. I was like, how is that person a human? Um, but I was talking with, with them and they told me that they have a new platform called uh, RevUp. And so I didn't know Dunn's was a competitor with Zoom Info. So, <laughs> so they are, but they're uh, also probably yeah. mutual customers of each other, right? I would imagine so. Yeah. And and so they told me about this product. I'm just curious if you use it. It's called RevUp. Hmm. And what it does, from my understanding, and I haven't used it, but my understanding is that it'll connect into multiple data sources you have and help you figure out which leads to prioritize based off of people visiting your site or email opens, things of that nature. Have you ever used that product? And not from them. I know there's there's any number of different companies. Even Zoom is trying to put some of their data cleanup, you know, lead prioritization and all that Um there's there's a lot of the, those two types of tools out there. We've looked at them. It's just I think you have to be you have to be mature in your setup and your CRM cleansiness and stuff like that before you start trying to use tools like that to prioritize. I think what leads are going to be um, one for you to prioritize and focus on. Any any tools in your sales stack that have just changed everything for you have blown you out of the water. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I, obviously, setting the foundation a couple of years ago, we we went from a non-standard CRM that was for our old way of doing business into dynamic CRM. So that's laid the foundation of, of a lot of things that we've done over the last two years. Got us to the point where we can account profile and better identify our ICP, connect tools like Zoom Info. We use HubSpot for marketing automation. The biggest game changer is something we just launched over the last 90 days, and that is, a, the and I referenced it before, cadencing, and we use SalesLoft for cadencing. Uh, so we looked at the two um, major platforms out there for sales cadencing and sales automation, outreach and SalesLoft. Cadencing is a set of steps and structure and content and information about how we could target a specific account. And so if it's a cold outreach, we can develop a sales cadence for that with content developed for marketing or from our um, our, our internal team. They can take snippets and put their own touch on it. They can personalize it. It could tell them that at this point, we're going to reach out on LinkedIn, then we're going to send an email, then we're going to send a phone call. And the reason why it's, it's a game changer for us is because Obviously, the way that people have found accounts and prospected has changed over the last, especially the last three years, but definitely over the last five years, uh, where phone calls and stuff like that are good, but you have to get way more creative. You have to get way more structured and, and have a plan on every count. So a lot of what made us successful five or 10 years ago still does, right? You still, any salesperson knows you have to have activities, got to be tracked, you got to know what your goals are. But it's what activity and what are you, are we moving towards to track and how can we 
use the data in the CRM, use the data from Zoom Info, use the data in our account profile to develop a proper path for, you know, trying to get someone to set a first appointment to at least hear us out. And how much time would you say you would spend on an account before you reach out to them? You mentioned a couple times that you developed this reason. There's only so much information that you have about what they're doing publicly before you actually figure out what's going on. And almost inevitably, whatever they're doing publicly is not what they're currently, the current sure. buyer they're working on. So how much time do your salespeople spend before they start outreaching with a good reason? You know, it... it it depends. I mean, there's we spend zero. I'll let you off the hook easy. We spend zero. We just spam people. You just go, you just go at it. Yeah. <laughs> we just go at it, and and we we only go at it though with people that look like our other customers. Like we sure. just take our customers, look at Zoom Info, and make those filters, and and that's it. Yeah, I mean, you you can use the um, what do they call it in Zoom Info? The alerts as far as what they what they mm-hmm. think they're they're researching and stuff like that. You know here. I guess here's an example. This year, our our largest deal record was broken three times, Ooh. which is great. So that means that the things that we're doing are are heading towards the right direction. We're constantly, you know, breaking that that big deal record. Not like in one case, almost doubled, which is great. Um, so, but that deal that we we and by the way, we just got one of them two weeks ago, which is which is awesome too. Close the year off strong. It. I mean, we were in that account for two years before we got that deal. Uh, now, now that's not not always the case, um, but uh, we have invested a lot in marketing and branding, especially in our physical locations where we have. Like, you can't drive through Chicago without seeing our branding, whether it's on the highway or you went to a Chicago Blackhawks game or a Cubs game. And as this market has matured, we're doing the same thing in our other markets like Texas and California where we need that visibility. Tie that with what the sales reps are doing, with what marketing is doing, and the outbound strategy and the sales cadencing and using the CRM to bring that data together that I know that this person was on our website looking at these pages. I popped the alert up in Dynamics. I'm now going to put them into a sales cadence with what they were looking towards. That's when you really start to hit the ground running. And I guess if you get to that point and where that does happen and you have no information in the CRM about that account and right haven't done that account-based profiling or marketing, that that's a shame because you could have, and you could have a lot more information to use to engage a customer or a prospect, I mean, who is interested in what we're doing and looked at the information on our website at these specific pages, we should have information that should allow that conversation to be a lot easier to get that first appointment. I love that. Yeah, the first, I think one of the times I was in in town, uh, I was driving to your office or doing another meeting, whatever I was doing around there. And I, I just remember being in an Uber and driving by a stadium and seeing the Impact logo on the stadium. And I said, <laughs> I was like, is that is that Frank's company? It was us. <laughs> yeah, like that is awesome. Because I have no idea. You know, I get to meet so many people. And, right. and I go off of personality, like if I like the person or not. I don't go off of like company size and things <laughs> of that nature. So when I was getting to meet you, I was like, oh, cool, I get to meet Frank. We had an awesome conversation. I just didn't realize how big Impact was. <laughs> it's right. huge there. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, again, it, it helps. Because we, we get a lot of people saying, "That's I know I've seen your logo. Now, you know, it makes sense. And they come in our offices and see it. They're like, where have I seen that? You know, it just helps connect the the brand that we're we're a brand that's been around. We we need people are making serious investments in their infrastructure and accounting on, on us to deliver. They got to know that we're 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 going to be here tomorrow, um, and we have the people to support them for the long term 
periods of time that we're engaging with. Most of our contracts are about five-year contracts. And so there's a lot of things that we got to do up front, but then we also got to manage the environment properly o- over, over the years. One of the things I really liked about your company and you was that you started out selling printers. Yes. And you managed to adapt with the times. And I feel like similarly, right? We started out with leadership training and licensing content. We adapted and went into sponsorship and content creation. Did you have to make a big change when the COVID happened or did the security stuff just was already in the pipeline and already going? Yeah, you know... If we haven't been making the changes we made leading up to COVID, we would have been put out of business. I mean, and that really is, there's the, that is going to have, or still isn't going to have such a drastic effect on our traditional business, our original business that we're still going to gonna go through and, and deal with. Our, you know, it's funny because actually our print business still grew this year, um, year over <laughs> year it grew, but it's coming from our customers that were managing their whole IT environment with, and there's just something that they don't want to deal with. There's good business out there for for print and copy. There's, you know, I I, I still talk to a lot of of the other companies across the country, and there's there's companies that are doing really well. It's it's not an easy business for the last few years um, between supply chain shortages, people not in offices, remote work. Right? There's just a number of different challenges that that are make that hard, especially for the small the small companies. But our transition began well before that. Even when Impact opened its doors, we were always focused on other things besides print. And we knew eventually, I think we knew eventually, um, that that wouldn't be the majority of our business at some point. Um, but it got us to nearly $100 million where it was the majority of our of our business. And this year, we're going to grow over $40 million organically. And that growth is coming from our, our IT operation, which is led by a close friend of mine here, obviously, uh, and you've met Patrick Layton at uh, at our Optimize event. And that's where that growth is coming from. It's bringing other business along with it will be roughly $180 million in revenue this year. So when we talked in 2019, I'd have to go back and think, but we're probably 40 to $60 million larger than we were in 2019. Um, in 2020, we, we grew. In 2021, we're um, on a little bit of growth, but this year is is a huge growth year for us. Um, and it's all led by the IT business and our cyber business, which is forcing, again, a lot of the transformations that we need to make at, uh, on the back end of Impact or the core systems. Because what started out as workarounds to support a growing business has now become the majority business, which is obviously the strategy to enable and run that business has, has to shift along with it. Did any of your experiments flop along the way? Obviously, the cybersecurity worked and shifting from printers to pr- uh, print and all of that worked. Did, it, did you ever try anything that just completely did not work? You know, that's an interesting question. We've, I would say we've revamped a, a few things, you know, once or twice to get it right. And IT is a good example. When we opened Impact Up, it was time and material. And that means I only make money when your stuff doesn't work and you're frustrated in calling me. And we revamped that business to be a managed uh, managed approach, and that's when we brought in Patrick Layton to revamp that. And that obviously is right the right uh, right call for the market because that has exploded exponentially since we've made that that shift. So there's lots of examples of that too. Well, we'll try and we'll learn and and keep pushing forward. What's what's Patrick's core competency? What's his role? So he's our VP of managed IT. So he runs our managed IT division, which is, again, you know, half the revenue of the company at this point. So he's got a pretty big responsibility for the business development team that supports our sales team, our 
unified service um, and call center, which is not a lot of the call, call center, but it's a service operations, uh, our service delivery. And he also is, uh, I don't know if he's chairman of the board or a, a Fort Dot. He's also involved in making sure that that gets off the ground running properly, just like he has for the IT division. What was it about Patrick that caused you and your executive peers to say, yeah, let's give him more responsibility? So there's 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 an interesting story there, but we we met him through a mutual customer of ours um, and got to know him and tried to find a way to partner or work with his old company and 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 that kind of fell through. Um, and then he decided to kind of entertain the opportunity with us to say, listen, we're gonna. We're not going to get in your way. Um, my owner, Frank, a different Frank, is, is good about getting the right people with the right mindset and enabling them. And so the, for the first year, he just had to develop his program. We didn't want to sell anything. We wanted to develop a sound program with best practices and and really make sure that we get that foundation right. Uh, so him and I were, were, were close together even before he was here, and we were close together when, when he is here. And uh, just find ways to make sure he has what he needs and that he builds a sound business and keep going. We all try to enable and, and, and work with each other on it. But he's talented. He knew, he knew how to how to talk through or he knew how to manage and run a IT MSP from previous life. And using that with kind of the impact backing and the partners backing and the owners saying this is going to be a home run. Let's all try to. Uh, change the company. But at that time, 90% of our revenue came from print and he came on board and IT was 500,000 in revenue. Now it's, I don't know, over 80 million, let's say, in, in, in revenue. So um, thanks a team effort, but he definitely uh, knows his stuff. What are the big conversations that are happening with you and your team? What are you guys thinking about? Data storage, scaling, sales? Where, where's your mind at most of the time? we've done a few things this year. So a new ERP is on our roadmap. And so luckily for us, we have a playground company, Dot Security, that isn't that risky because it's a startup. So we're kind of engineering um, and, and using that as a testing ground for a ERP change. Data warehousing and, and, and you know, using that to hold our data from multiple different sources before we do the ERP change is a big priority. So we have kind of a more of a balance point but we've replaced two legacy systems over the last 18 months with ones that we've developed ourselves the marketing and sales tech stack has been a huge initiative for us and ongoing so i have a i have a, a one agile team really just on that alone that is tasked with our dynamics integration with our sales loft modifying that and improving our rep experience and some things that are still cumbersome for sales reps so constantly evaluating how do we make their lives easier we rolled out a new commission portal for our reps that'll get a revamp in in Q1 from an interface standpoint to make it easier for reps to see where a deal is at, what the status is, and all, all those things. Because when you write one contract that it can be $100,000 a month, there's a lot of little pieces that make up that deal. How do we provide visibility to that um, across our company? And uh, any number of other different things. We launched an updated customer portal this year for our customers for our IT customers. Um, we have another tool that we use that allows our customers that we're co-managing with, where we don't take over 
all their IT, they have resources on site. So we have an application that allows them to escalate tickets back and forth between us. So that's something that we've revamped this year. So yeah, we got a few things going on. <laughs> you got a lot going on over there, man. And you got 900 something people, right? About 900 employees. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Are you publicly traded or private? Uh, we're all private. Nice. Yep. Nice. Well, I want to talk about some leadership stuff, if that's cool with you. Sure. With all of these changes, I mean, we're 15 people, right? And focus is important for us. So I can only imagine at 900 people, what's going on over there. How, how do you get everybody focused on the same page and achieving these, these new initiatives that you have going on? Communication. <laughs> I've learned that the kind of, I would say, the good way, the bad way. Um, communication definitely helps. Culture. I mean, we, we, we still spend a lot of time and effort and money on culture. We still do one or two in-person events a year. So we bring all 900 people to one spot. So we're actually going to um, Houston for the first time in uh, is it March or April next year. Um, but we had our optimized event the day after we had our, our whole company meeting in the same venue, right? So they got to see some of the cool things that we're able to do and we're able to accomplish. I know it sounds cliche, but that's that really seems to be the best way to do it. And with 900 people, it gets harder, right? It, it gets hard. And it's up to all the partners and our executives and our managers that were um, to carry that culture torch and, and to have their many versions of it within their their local offices and each team you know i think has an adaptation of it but you know we, we try and get people excited with what what we've done where we've been yes we're 900 employees today but you know five years ago we weren't 10 years ago we we were nowhere near that and then 20 years ago we were three employees you know so making sure that story stays alive of who impact is and what we're about and why we grow we grow for the sake of the employees to give them opportunity to have a career that they could be proud of and work with a company that is able to provide that. And how many years into it did you join? I've been here almost 16 and a half years, I think. So the company was founded in 99. I started in June of 06. Wow. We were about 45 employees when I started, about 13 million in revenue. And there's a number of people like me that started that time that are now VPs and partners in the company. We named Patrick a partner last year, so there's still opportunity for new employees that do well within the organization. But yeah, I can't believe I've been here 16 and a half years. That to me is like crazy. Let's go back 16 and a half years on the topic of communication. Uh-huh. What were you doing then that you cringe at now as far as your communication habits? As a company or me personally? You personally. Me personally. I didn't know what, I mean, I was just, this was my first job out of school. I didn't know what I was doing. I started impact entry level. So, I mean, what I, what I did is I shut up and I I listened to everyone else. So I wouldn't say something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That's my strategy, man. Yeah, that's it. I was trying to learn and, and, and absorb. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously you learn a lot over 16, 17 years, you know, being a first-time manager, you learn what to do, what not to do. And now I get the chance to talk to other first-time managers and hopefully not make or, you know, try and coach them about avoiding the same mistakes. But uh, you know, it's the same thing. You don't want them to avoid the same mistakes because you got to make mistakes in order to improve. So it's it's kind of double-edged sword. It's about reflection and, and working with them and making them understand that that's okay, but here's how we, we would you know, want to improve on that type of thing. So I don't know, you know, that's, that's a hard question. I think 
obviously you people grow and develop over the years, but I don't know if I would, would cringe or change anything that got me to where I'm at, because obviously it got me to where I'm at. And I think that that's part of just who you are. I fully agree. It's, it's a tough balance between reading and learning about an area and actually gaining real experience there. Because you can read about leadership books all day. You 100%. can read every single leadership book. You can know every single thing. But there's something about experiencing the situation. For me, I mean, I don't know if it's true for you, but I remember all the most painful things. Like, <laughs> I remember the most painful mistakes. And I, there are some things that I let my team do like if if I think it's oh that's like a little bit of pain you know that's that's yeah. good. so so you let that happen but if the kid is the kid's putting the fork into the light socket you, you stop them right you're like no we don't need to run this you know, experiment we we know we've how done this, this turns before. out it doesn't end well. yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, communication I want to even go deeper into that so when you're communicating with such a large group of people how are you doing that are you just talking with your direct reports and they're talking with their direct reports and it's this cascading thing are you do you have a, a communications person that you work with that helps you put out content to your teams how how is your communication done currently you know you, you got to pick and choose because too much communication no one reads anything i break it up there's things that i want to make sure that the message gets out the way i want it to get out and not play the game of telephone. And so I'll send emails to the entire company or I'll send emails to groups of the company. We do videos. So we'll have like, if I'm communicating with the sales team, I'll put my email together, but then I have someone who's been in sales for 10 years who now works on one on, on, on my sales ops team. I ever make a video that's 30 to 60 seconds of the highlights. You have the detail there. You get the communication out. I have a very close relationship, or at least I think I do. And I try to maintain that with all of our sales managers and general managers and VPs, and even a lot of the sales reps. I don't ever want to lose that connection to the ground with any of the people I support, whether you're in sales or not. So I think it's important to know that that I'm approachable with challenges or things that are working right or not working right. And so that communication can be directed to me. And then it can also be outbound. So I can make sure that I, if I hear something that doesn't sound right, that we can we can correct it. I've learned a lot about that over the last couple of years as we've gotten bigger, as we've made significant changes. And I don't think I'm done learning that. I think we're still fine tuning what level, how much, what format, um, what voice. And um, you have to get people excited about those types of changes because we need them to be on board with it. We need them to want to keep pushing impact forward for the sake of not just them, but for everybody. Uh, but the shift in revenues in a relatively quick amount of time, like I said, about four years, the balance went like this from this. There's pain, there's challenges, there's things that were designed perfectly and ran perfectly that now all of a sudden don't even fit the majority of the use cases. So that, those are the challenges that, that, that we're faced with. And then as we go into 2023, we're at the new year mark right now. People are discussing goals, objectives, things of that nature. For us as a business, I'd say this is the first year that we are stable, like really stable. <laughs> it's, you know, first we're in year five right. and it's been up and down. We, we think we've got something going. It's looking great. Then it crashes. And then we, we got the sponsorship going real well, but then it's not recurring. So every month right. you start at zero and have to sell a hundred grand or whatnot. And then we got the recurring stuff in there now and that's growing. And so I'm finally at the point where I can actually 
come up with, you know, here's quarter one, what I want to get done. Here's quarter two. I found myself not being able to plan after quarter two. Like I, I, I could very easily come up with, here's what I want done in quarter one, the three, right. the three big things. And here's what I want done. But I couldn't plan the whole year. I don't, I don't know why. Are, are you guys able to do that? Or do you just do a, a few quarters at a time? We plan for the year. So as the company has matured, obviously, so as our finance team, and so is our data, right? Our, our, our data is matured. But it's funny you mentioned the transition from one time to monthly recurring revenue. And that's a transition we made from the product sales to the managed services sales. So there's pros and cons, right? With When I ship product, I can ship it, I can invoice it, I can collect it within a relatively short period of time. With M- monthly recurring revenue, yes, it's monthly recurring, but we have a lot more effort up front in onboarding new customers than we do, you know, 18 months in or two or three years into that contract. So the growth of the MRR requires a lot more upfront resources, but we're spreading out how we collect that money to the customer and it, it, it becomes challenging to figure out what is that balance of, of, of resources. So we do, uh, we get, we get better every year and, you know, from a sales forecasting standpoint, like I said, the, the largest deal record is broken three times. You can't, you can't plan for that. We can. You we, want to. We want to plan for that. <laughs> we want to do a lot of things to do that. Hopefully, it's six times next year. So yeah, I mean, we review the you know where we've been, what the budgets are. We get um, you know the sales VPs and GMs on on board, and luckily, I'm not I'm not involved in the sales budgeting conversations. There's enough people involved in that that I, I don't they don't need my input, which is great. But yeah, we all have to work towards understanding what what those budgets are, and as our business model on the MRR, like I said, it's in that sweet spot about four years ago. So those customers that were five-year customers four years ago, five years ago, are now something that we can review and plan on. How are they renewing? If they are renewing, what that looks like. And then that becomes part of our budget conversations. Are you doing the renewals at Impact over into, for the security ones, over into the new security company? Or are you just keeping them at Impact? So the security company is a, a little different than Impact, where it is a channel company, which means it is reselling of services to Impact as a reseller, which is going to allow us to also sell those services in markets that we're physically not um, and work with other managed service providers that don't have the capability or the, um, you know, the appetite for investment to create and manage cybersecurity company. Because... There's you, you've, there's a lot of cybersecurity out there, right? There's a lot of tools and there's like, oh yeah, you install this tool set and then it just works. But really you got to have that personal touch, that connection. You got to be able to increase your security posture over time. You got to be able to benchmark it, have it managed. And that's where we think the niche is at for dot security. And I think you can only do that if you have a connection to your managed service provider, but it's still got to be separate. So that's, that's how that is. So Yes, there's a uh, our customers that have advanced security protection at Impact. Those are have already been made the transition to using DOT employees and stuff to service those accounts. Seamless to the to the customer, but yeah, those those changes had to be put in place. That's interesting. I I only understood about fifty percent of that <laughs> because I. I d- <laughs> there's a lot of cybersecurity tools out there. It's never ending, but it's got to have a full yeah. touch. It's got to be managed. A managed program is really what helps you increase your 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 ability to 
keep threats away, to be guarded when threats happen, and to detect it when something does get through. So I'm good with that. What I wasn't, where I got lost was how they resell your, like, I don't know managed service providers sure. specific. Like, I know what they do. Right. I understand the concept. They sponsor the show, things like that. But I don't understand what you were saying as far as they're reselling your services to yeah. the open market and an area like physical territories that you don't currently occupy. Right. Is so that what it is? Right now, it's just impact. the The plan sometime in summer is to open up dot to a channel program to other MSPs, managed service providers like Impact that are already providing managed services around IT to their customers. So you're providing managed IT services, which is things from licensing, softwares, you know, support maintain things. Maintain environment, yeah. Maintain environment. But the specific act of cybersecurity is being pushed out into this so that, because like no one would want to, none of your competitors want to work with Impact directly. Right. That doesn't even make sense, right? But if you have dot security over there, then it's, a, and if it's a separate company, as you said, and uh, then that, then that totally makes sense. Yeah. And we think there's a huge niche and a gap of of what um, there's a lot of bigger companies that have the cyber arm that have you know thousand person socks across the, the across the country. But we've we've worked with them we, even before we we created Dot Security. Um, we looked at a couple to to kind of give them a chance to see what you know what does a competitive landscape look like. And we thought we'd be pretty much their ideal customer profile. All right, we're a growing company. We invest a lot in in IT and security, and we weren't happy with what what the results we got. And so Patrick and 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 Frank got together. And said Patrick's like, we can do this ourselves. We can do it better, and we can definitely hit the mark where the mid market needs us to be. And uh, in the middle of pandemic, um, you know, Dot Security was born, and we have. An awesome facility that, if you think our other facilities were 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 impressive, we 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 built a sock behind our our headquarters, which is actually right behind me back here. That has a two thousand square foot command center screen in front of it. Oh, uh, that's so cool! It is one of the largest um, private use non stadium or public venue screens in the country, and that is our command center. And so we we can you text me a picture after? Yeah, yeah. Right. Before we opened the facility, we um we had a nice little Super Bowl party in there. But you know oh, now nice. it's a, now it's a secure facility. In <laughs> <laughs> the theme of sales, because we usually don't talk about sales, but this week for some reason we've had a lot of great people who are knowledgeable here. The channel partner go to market is that different than how you currently acquire customers? Is there a different way to be a channel partner than just selling directly services? I think there is. Patrick certainly does too. You know, you need your ideal, you know, partner profile instead of ideal customer profile. You know, um, it's still something I know that he's going to spend a lot of time figuring out with whoever we put in place to kind of run that channel program. But, you know, think of all the the good partners you've had and the bad partners over time. I've dealt a lot with channel with other software companies, things we've resold. So is Patrick. We know what makes a good partner, what makes a bad partner. What makes a good partner, what makes a bad partner? You got to enable your partners. You got to not have channel conflict. You got to not have them question your credibility when you're talking to potentially other companies that overlap in the same territories. You got to make it easy to do business. You got to reduce the friction and make it easy for them to quote and process orders and get that data. All these things have to happen in order to be 
a preferred channel partner. Eventually, you got to be able to allow automation, right? Uh, as we're working with other managed service providers, we got to be able to potentially integrate with their systems. So all those things are things that we're talking about. How do we have a partner portal that is easy to use? How do we provide training and content and deliver education about why dot security and what those services are? So there's a lot of work left to do on that for sure. That is really interesting. So will that be the the sole go-to-market strategy currently for for dot security, just partner channel partners? Yeah. And obviously we're putting a lot of effort into making sure that our impact accounts that don't have dot security uh, or advanced cybersecurity services through us, that we go to market with them first. And, and, and then as that business scales, put together a channel program. And honestly, we don't want everybody resale. We want to be selective too, because we got to be able to provide, there's, there's, there's still a, you know, a human touch to deliver that service. Otherwise, go work with one of the tools that provide the SOC as part of the platform and and, and whatnot. So that's the stuff that we'll, we'll be selective with who, who we partner with for sure to make sure that not only do we give ourselves a good name, but also that that managed service provider can, can know that they're getting something that is differentiated, not just something that's the same out there in the market. Yeah, that was one of the big factors when we decided to even do this. We met like five separate times and I met with different executives at different parts of the org and we found that our cultures were very similar between right. the two organizations. And that built a lot of trust, like seeing how they operate over two or three months of conversation and, and all of that. So I get what you mean, because we wouldn't want a fly-by-night type company reselling our services or sending us stuff, because we want the customers that are going to be a customer for 10 years, right. not one year, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, that was, and that's why as we refine the process and, and we work through it with what Impact is doing, and we we've there's already potential partners that have reached out to us that when we're ready and they're ready would would make a good you know a, a good go at it and and again I think Patrick with his with his network that he has across the country just doing this as long as he has we're expecting big things I, 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 we just got to make sure we we set it up right and set it up for success well I have no doubt you got a smart team you're a great person Frank we made a podcast how do you feel I feel good this was fun Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.